You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to another edition of the Ducks Confidential Podcast. I'm James Kreppi, and he is Aaron Fentress of the Oregonian and Oregon Live. And uh, gosh, I, I wonder what we'll talk about today, Aaron. Uh, I mean, I, I, this Oklahoma game, we're going to look back at why they didn't play Ty Thompson in the second half, right? I, I mean, I, I, I'm sure we'll get to that, too. Um, but uh, uh, to. no, yeah, no, uh, not, <laughs> not really the top priority uh, here <laughs> at this point. Uh, certainly we'll go into all things related to uh, Mario Cristobal uh, choosing to leave Oregon for Miami and uh, discuss that at length, uh, where Oregon may be headed, uh, potential candidates, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then, yes, eventually we may or may not even touch a little bit on uh, the games that uh, one that was played on Friday, which uh, seems like an eternity ago. Jeez, I'm and, kidding. Uh, that, uh, <laughs> As I said before kickoff, uh, the game is no longer relevant. Um, and I don't mean that in a, a, disrespect, a disrespectful way to the players. I mean, you know, yes, for them, it certainly matters. Uh, but in terms of from uh, the truly big picture, uh, the game really didn't have particular meaning uh, at that point. Um, entering, entering it from a big picture standpoint. Yes, it determined bowl destinations. Yes, it determined a conference champion. But in the grand scheme of things, if there's going to be a coaching change regardless of outcome, um, then what? What was really the difference? Uh, you tweeted that after going. news started leaking. I was I was saying that uh, among people in the press box and and discussions and and just private conversation. But I think I even I may have even tweeted. I can't remember. I, but I mean, you tweeted that the game was. Oh, you oh, you said okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, I thought you said you yeah. tweeted that this that, game. No, was I, I, well, that's why I was. I, I think I. I polled fans to ask, do they care oh, anymore? Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. okay. <laughs> you gotcha, remember gotcha. asking that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it certainly just didn't quite have the same oomph, uh, let's put it that way, in the, due to the things that were coming out in the hours leading up to it. But be that as it all may, uh, obviously, starting with the, the news that is, uh, and what has uh, gone on in the past several days, and this morning, uh, Mario Cristobal being officially introduced at Miami and have his press conference there, uh, but that he has uh, moved on. And he has uh, the opportunity to go home and uh, would have been handsomely uh, compensated regardless uh, of the direction he chose to go. But obviously with the the pull of home, the pull of the school that he played for, which I think is the overriding factor here, uh, more than just geography or uh, I don't know, I'm certainly going to say even family. But yes, I mean, those, those things certainly do matter. Uh, but I think it's the the pull and the lure of being at a place where you played, uh, and that that just carries a great weight uh, for him certainly, uh, and a lot of former, but really a lot of former players of any sport specifically, but uh, in football, perhaps even more than certain other sports. And for him, 
most definitely. Uh, but your reaction to the news, Aaron, uh, in terms of just the here and now, before we get into the, you know, where they go and all those sorts of things, yeah. just the, the news that is. I, you know, one of the least surprising things amongst the big news that's happened to this program in 20 years. Like I, what, when he was hired, like this was after Taggart had already left for Florida state because that was his dream job. He was from Florida. And when Mario was named that day, I tweeted, if Miami struggles and Mario succeeds, they're going to come after him. If they come after him, he's gone. Like book it. It's done. And I never said that to be controversial. To me, that was like, if you take $5 and you put it with $5, you have $10. But it became a thing. Like, I was called an effing idiot. You're a moron. You're dumb. You're stupid. How are you even covering this team? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, whoa, okay, whatever. So over the years, every time it would come up, I would say the same thing. And it would be the same thing. And then these last few weeks, it's been the same thing. And I just don't understand what people are thinking. Because never maybe in the history of mankind has a coach who might want to go somewhere or be a threat to leave checked all of these boxes. He is from there, grew up there. His mom and family lives there. He has friends there. He played at Miami. He won national titles at Miami. He clearly his entire life has worn his allegiance on his sleeve. Like there was just no way he was going to leave and Oregon was not going to be the program that was going to keep him. It was, it was just not going to be a thing. Now there were some problems with Miami and Miami has, I'm not going to go to all the different details of the things they've done to try to distance himself from the shenanigans of the past, Shapiro and all the different violations and things like that. But you got billionaires running around right now on yachts, ready to throw money at the program. You stole the AD from, uh, Clemson, which was a huge hire for them, which they are still gonna... hasn't, which still hasn't been finalized yet. Well, it hasn't been finalized, but okay. So maybe it hasn't. Still... It hasn't. I know, no, no, I no, mean, no. I'm not no, saying no, it's not going not, to, but yeah, no, Radakovich hasn't actually you're right. left yet. <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're right. They're so trying. Maybe, they're spending a lot of may, money. Uh, maybe they're yeah. going to steal. Who knows if that falls through? Anyway, the point is, like, it's just a perfect storm. So in Miami, is still a place where you can win big. And, and one of the things that's different down there, and different with Clemson than Alabama, and you covered. Uh, Bama, um, um, sorry, Auburn. Like and then tangentially that, on rare yeah, occasion, that I would go right. across the but state. There, yes. <laughs> but tell me if you disagree with this. There's a difference between a four-star recruit and some four-star, and excuse me, a four-star player and a true star player. Oregon has gotten four-star kids. And yes, I mean, Sewell, Kayvon, yes, I know. But like specifically at the skill guys, Oregon, like the receivers Bama has out there, like, like the dude, I, like the dude last year won the Heisman. I can't remember his name right now. And Devontae then De- Smith. Devontae Smith. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. And, and then Jalen the, Waddle. Yeah, like and Jameson they're diff- Williams. They're different and, cats, yeah. dude. They're different cats, and they're and some of them are five, and some of them are four. And then you look at some of Oregon's four star receivers, and there's no comparison. So Mario knows that he can go to Miami with his recruiting prowess in that region, and he can get some real freaking mutant dudes and build a different kind of program. So. But that, that doesn't really matter that much. It's everything else. So, no, my, zero surprise whatsoever. That's not a knock on Oregon. It's just a reality of Mario and his ties to Miami. I think uh, with a lot of that, um, there's certainly a lot of merit to what you say there. I think the big thing to me that really shifted in my own mind on over the course of Friday uh, as more and more reports came out of Miami mm-hmm. was, one, that whoever was running point at Miami, since they don't have an athletic director, um, that whoever was running point on the process over there was extraordinarily confident 
because right. they were running their mouth to whoever would listen. <laughs> so no, no secrets were being kept, right? No. Uh, so I mean, in terms of you know, and that was just what was getting out there publicly. You can only imagine what was being said privately. I'm sure, like every right. uh, you know, I'm sure every coffee shop uh, in Little Havana was probably hearing about it. So. Um, <laughs> But, you know, that's to each their own. You know, it's just, my goodness, like they, they weren't exactly keeping anything under wraps. Um, they, they, anybody would listen. So over the, but having said that, when that is getting in that level and volume and intensity, mm-hmm. uh, and then you're hearing about dollar figures going on. And I was obviously from what I was hearing and reporting from, um, from what I was hearing on, on Oregon side of the negotiations that were taking place there. And then you start hearing that Miami is actually going to start allocating and dedicating resources. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that had come out before Friday, to be clear. Like there are things, I think Levitard had put it out somewhere or, or right. a couple other people had put out like, oh, Miami's talking about they're going to spend $20, 30000000 million, you know, that they haven't spent before. And I've been saying like, well, not for nothing. That's not a selling point. That's a, why hasn't it been there before? Um, and it was, and I, I still say that I still say, where was it before? <laughs> Quite honestly, to change, um, change in attitude. But yeah, this was a, and it has been, as it has been detailed, uh, for reports out of Miami over the port, uh, better part of the last week or so. Uh, and credit to the people down there at the Miami Herald and the Athletic and, and plenty of other places who've done some fine work over there. Uh, this is a new money situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that I think is the paradigm shift here to all the things that you point out of why it would not naturally and obviously be attractive to Mario Cristobal to go back to Miami, which I don't begin to refute. The reason why in my own mind, uh, that possibility became more and more real over the course of Friday before kickoff was, oh, this Miami actually is interested in winning. Right. This Miami actually has. Uh, a run of the old, uh, a, a combination. It was kind of a melding of the old Miami bravado and arrogance that made Miami what made Miami. me a fan. Was what made me a fan um, as a kid. You know, but it, it kind of had because of the way that they handled things in this whole process, which was mm-hmm. the my the old Miami. <laughs> mm-hmm. okay. Was Randall Hill running around signaling the first downs? Yeah, I mean, getting Mario. I'm sure. He, I'm sure he was. Was he at the press conference today? Going first down after a three yard. The, the only thing. The only thing shy of the old Miami was that you didn't have two live crew out there. Basically, <laughs> you know, on, on the tarmac. Um, that was about the only thing. But Uncle Luke is, you know, tweeting. So, um, no, look, like that was the combination of like that part of the old Miami with the money of the new Miami melding together to to do what they did. Um, I didn't, I was not convinced until, like I say, really Friday <laughs> that, yeah. um, that Miami was actually dedicated to winning again. Uh, well, so I'm just being honest because they hadn't been for yeah. 20 years or so, give or take. Um, basically since they yeah. last won, uh, you know, a conference title and, uh, a national title like in 01, 02, well, they 03. Fired, it was like, uh, they fired Coker. Coker won a national title and then things slid a little bit. They fired him mm-hmm. and then they tried to get, back and it didn't work and then the university i mean miami's a very but they they were constantly school. lost they were constantly lost they went out i'm not saying that they didn't necessarily make some good hires along the way i actually thought you know at no, the no, time I'm when they hired like you. an al golden and stuff but the thing was yeah. is that they they lost themselves in that there was always the infighting there was oh which i mean it, it happens a lot of places but there was always the infighting it was always chaos it was always you know which former players running their mouth and criticizing about 
any number of things. And they've right. got a lot of former players who were never happy with anything. Um, but if you go back to like when Randy Shannon was there and he's, he inherits just a mess of a dumpster fire situation. And one of the biggest things that had to happen was they had to raise the academic side situation. Otherwise they were going to face exactly. scholarship losses. Exactly. And he stuck where he had to improve it. Otherwise they were going to lose scholarships and right. the ability to, to max out. And he gets criticized for graduating players. Yeah. Because he didn't win enough games and he didn't do that poorly. Right. A similar thing was happening with Taggart at Florida State. He inherited the worst APR in the country and was trying to fix it. And there was a talent deficiency and they, they blew him out. Almost, almost similar situation. Miami was trying to clean things up because Miami was embarrassed in part because of how things played out, especially with the Shapiro thing. I mean, the the 30 for 30s on Miami are absolutely amazing. And Miami is a prestigious, private school they didn't want to be associated with that so that was part of the reason why why they were kind of trying to like okay we're going to put our clamps on this thing and shut it down a little bit in terms of in terms of some of the the wildness that was helping fuel some of the winning which is a, a fact i mean clearly some of that renegade stuff was helping make miami what it is but now after not being able to just live off the u name and try and do things you know pristinely and hire good coaches but not necessarily you know Top of the line, we're going to run it. Although they did get the Georgia guy. Um, it looks like now that people are saying, no, let's just dump a bunch of cash on this thing and make it happen again. And that's different. So I do agree with you that there was a smidge of doubt that Mario would have gone back if not for the change in that part of it. And I did talk to two. Because who wants to, to go back for all those reasons? Who wants to go back in a situation that you really do covet and want to be at? But if you have, if you're kneecapped and have no chance of success, then it's tagged to you that you failed at the place you ever right. wanted to be. That's kind right. of like what happened to Manny Diaz, quite frankly. Why would you want that part of it? You want, 100%. if you're going to go where you want to go, you want to have every resource available. They didn't have it. The basic, the, long but, story short, the easiest way to describe Miami is perfectly. It's the Fountain Blue. The what? Miami, the, the Fountain Blue Hotel. Fountain it's, Blue is Hotel. on, on South Beach. It is the, it is the Fountain Blue. Because the Fountain Blue was the old hotel that, I mean, it's an iconic place, um, for, for the people who haven't heard of it, look it up. Um, but it is, <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's been there for forever, but it revolutionized. And then all of a sudden Liv got there and it was, oh, now it's, but it was the old Fountain Blue it was the old, you know, the, the beachfront hotel, the iconic property that is, um, that like every beachfront hotel in the world suddenly started to mimic. And it was forever that place. And then it got older as Miami got older. It got a little bit dilapidated. They mm-hmm. poured a bunch of money into it, threw the best nightclub in Miami in it, and then all of a sudden it was the new young thing. The institution and the athletic department had to do the same thing. What happened here was they just put, they now have Live or Story or you name the club in South Beach. Now they have it back, they hope, right. uh, at the now- end. As I was saying, I had two people close to Mario who, who I reached out to them um, to say, look, man, this was, this was like a month and a half ago. I said, if this Miami job comes open, would Mario take it in a nanosecond? And both actually gave pause. And they know Mario very well. And I'm like, are you serious? And I listed all the reasons. They're like, yeah, man, but there's issues down there that could keep him away. So that, that gave validity to me that that could be possible. So I went from 99.9 to 99.4 because I still believe the bottom line is, is talent acquisition, right? The Canes, the last, I think, five recruiting classes have had an 11 and a 10 and a 6 
rated class. So they're still recruiting reasonably well. I believe Mario, if they didn't touch a facility, is going to go in there and get top 10 classes every year because he's such a great recruiter and he knows that area. So he's going to have high-end talent without doing a thing to anything. So he can have high-end talent, top 10 classes here. He can have top 10 classes in Miami. Where would he have, rather have top 10 classes? If you have the talent on the field, does it matter where you're practicing? Do you have to have a $400 million field house or can you just go practice on just any grass field outside. Yes, you're just running sprints is running sprints. A weight room is a weight room at the end of the day as long as you have the weights. So I still think Mario would have gone, but the AD, if he comes through, and the money that they're promising, absolute 100% game changers, completely over at that point because there was no excuse whatsoever for him to stay at Oregon. There were, but there's still a lot of back-end things that come into it by way of infrastructure. Um, and I'm not talking about just buildings or, like you say, a weight room or a facility, which some of their facilities really were behind. Uh, were and are behind, um, yeah, relatively speaking. But a weight room's a weight room. And they're, they're off campus <laughs> and their off campus stadium is a stadium. But at the same time, you say, well, but if that's only seven, eight days a year. And now all of a sudden you start hearing these murmurings that they're talking about building an on campus or closer to campus facility. And it's like, good luck mm-hmm. finding the land, but that, let that right. be their problem. Um, but be that as it all may, uh, in order to again, maximize success and why I thought it suddenly had a viability was, not just allocating money and paying somebody a whole bunch of money to be a head coach. That's the tip of the sphere. That starts, that's the entry point. The rest of it becomes about staff, support staff, infrastructure, the things that, the things that define program versus team. There can be fine teams. There may not be fine programs around those teams and if you want to try and compete for and win on a annual basis against the national power hitters that are that we all know the names you need to be able to have the things that sustain a program you can develop and go incrementally and have wild swings by way of talent and any given year on a team but sustaining that and where to, to where a bad year is a 10 win year, that's a program. And that requires the other pieces that I'm talking about. And Miami had never shown that. <laughs> they had never shown that in the modern era of sport. And now but, they. But have if Mario done went that. in there as recruiting top 10 classes and starting to win at a higher level, that well, could influence. Well, let me finish. He's let me finish. That, could inf- that would influence maybe more money to come in and, and believers. Like I'm just saying it, it didn't have to be money first, promises first, then Mario goes. I think it could have been Mario goes, does well, and then things start flowing in. But that, and that's what happened at Oregon. That's what happened it, at Oregon. I mean, that's exactly what happened at Oregon. Winning on the field influenced Phil Knight. But anyway, regardless, he's gone. Regardless, it's, it's gone where What's it's next? gone, <laughs> what have you. So, um, How big of a blow is this, James? Obviously significant. You saw this short-term impact already and the immediate impact already on the recruiting trail. That said, I don't think anything is irreversible, um, right. for one. Two, uh, speaking specific, like, uh, all right, they lost three commits. Okay, well, again, th- some of that happens everywhere whenever there's a coaching change, first off. Second off, when there's already an offensive coordinator change, the idea that Tanner Bailey, a quarterback from Alabama, is going to uh, decommit at that point. Well, when you have an OC change, that's already – a question, and then uh, you compound it with a head coach change. Well, then yes, yes, I would say that's you know 
understandable to say the least. Right. Um, when, when two of the primary recruiters of the player are no longer there. Yeah. I, I totally understand that. Uh, same thing with TJ Dudley at linebacker, where also out of the state of Alabama, who was already visiting some other places, which again, I, I don't hold against players. I think any recruit should take all their official visits and all, all those sorts of things. Maximize your, your options and opportunities. Uh, and then obviously Kelvin Banks, uh, decommitting as well. However, again, I, for one, I don't think anything is irreversible. Number one. Number two, I don't think that, um, depending on who the new hire is, whether it be internal, external, or anybody else, if it's external, they could bring guys with them if it's before exactly. signing. Uh, exactly. Lastly, if you look at the roster and the scholarship chart, which I've updated uh, overnight to reflect the, those decommitments and other things, Oregon already was in, a, uh, as every program is, in, in roster management, and that's going to be part of it um, for everybody in the offseason. And they're still projected to be, well above 85 for next year. Now, of course, there's still the juniors who have to make decisions. There's going to be churn that happens everywhere, all those sorts of things. But point is, is there's, there's ample time and flexibility for additions, whether it be players who could come in who are presently committed elsewhere and then you hire a coach and now they're coming to Oregon, vice versa, transfers, all off season of transfers, not just December, January transfers, but post spring transfers, you know, those things come into play. So I think that that's just naturally all part of it. So that's why you say, like, how big of a blow is it? Obviously, significant, significant. But, uh, you know, the idea that, like, this is an all-time wrecking ball or something and they're just never going to be able to hire somebody, it's like, look, right. this is part of the business. This is the cost of doing business when you want to compete at a huge level. And I, I think the way that Ron Mullins put it yesterday in his press conference was actually rather on point and, and very – frankly, direct uh, from Rob in that, yeah, of course, you don't you, you want to see people go, but you want to have success to where other people covet the success you're having. That's not a bad thing. Would you rather be woefully mediocre and, and basically have your entire fan base debating whether or not they should retain the coach and then nobody's actually trying to poach your coach because up oh, is who in the world would pay the buyout for that guy. Oh my goodness. We, we could just wait until he's getting fired. That's who you want to hire. <laughs> you, you, you know, that's who you want leading your program. You don't want that. Oh, you want the top 10 recruiting classes. You want the uh, road wins at Ohio state. You want the, um, the things that it's shown and sustained. Uh, you want the conference championship trophies, uh, even if Aaron doesn't count one of them. You want the, uh, he's ready, and he, though he was ready to count a third, but just not the second. Um, but no, you want those sorts of things. Well, that comes with the cost of doing business. Yeah. And that's, that's part of it. Now, again, how, how do they go about proceeding going forward? How do you try to best mitigate it? Um, so that you are able to sustain what has been built over the last four years. Well, we'll get into that here in a minute, but is it a blow? Yes, of course. But I don't think it is something that is impossible to overcome by any stretch because, again, it happens. Look, is it a blow to Notre Dame that they lost their winningest coach in, in Notre Dame history? Is it? Yeah, it's a blow. It's a blow, but boy, Marcus Freeman seems to be getting all the love in the world. Right. Is it a blow to Oklahoma that they lost Lincoln Riley? 
It no, was for the week. Death, that might be a death blow. No, they got, I, well, they got the, the, it was for the they, week, but they just got the best defensive coordinator in the sport <laughs> who yeah, had passed so you, up on job after job after job after job for the better part of like five or six years. And now he gets to come home for his purposes to Oklahoma. And, you know, they have a crowd at the airport that was mm-hmm. like a freaking, you know, major conference basketball game. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, like all of a sudden it's like, you know, you go from a week of hellaciousness and like the sky is falling to something else is coming out of the sky and it's it's the plane and you're celebrating and everything else. So that's why I say like I don't fly off the handle on these things. I think it's a cost of doing business and, and the high end of sport. Uh and it's it's just part of it. You know, if you want to compete get to me, if you if you want if you want to just have nothing but sustainability and you want your coach to stay put for forever. Um, and be the guy who they, you know, build the statue to or name a building after. But also just, just don't, just don't win at that high a level to where anybody covets you. Just hang in that eight, nine area. Well, there's plenty of places where you can do that. <laughs> well, there's plenty of places where you can do that. And, uh, I don't think Oregon's one of those places. I just, I don't think Oregon's one of the places that wants to be one of those places. No, they definitely don't want to, they definitely don't want to be one of those places. I think there's I think there's somewhere in the middle where you're going to have some of those eight and nines, and then occasionally you're going to have those tens. I don't think they're ever going to be a perennial, uh, you know, playoff team. Like, well, if they change the playoff format, they might. No, I say if the, with the changing of the playoff format, I think this changes a lot of these dynamics going forward too. Hundred percent, but and that's why then, I think the next about, hire could be very, very, very interesting. Right. Then you're talking about perennial Final Four because what will happen is teams will make the playoffs losing the mm-hmm. first round. They're like, we can't get out of the first round, just like an NBA, and they'll want to fire the coach anyway. But uh, no, my, my feeling on it is this. Mario Cristobal is a very good coach. I'm a, look, I've been a Miami Hurricane, Hurricanes fan since I'm a kid. I'm excited to see what he might do. I'm more excited about the money, <laughs> to be honest with you. I think Cristobal is a very good coach. Clearly, he's a good recruiter, um, <clears throat> but he's not irreplaceable. I mean, the song Irreplaceable from Beyonce comes to mind. <laughs> you know, you're, you're not irreplaceable. He's not even close to irreplaceable. I understand the emotional attachment fans had to Crystal Ball and that makes sense. And so for him to leave like that, you feel jilted. So I get that emotion, but there's life after Mario Crystal Ball. I, I guarantee it. Um, the, the program has so many things going well for it. They're going to find a new coach. People people were d- destroyed when Taggart left. They fell ass backwards in the crystal ball. Things worked out. Um, when Chip left, it was like, oh, my God. You know, the Ducks contended for the national title the next three years, going to it once. Um, so there's life after coaches. I think there'll be life after crystal ball. We'll talk about candidates later. But, I, you know, I think it sucks. But, like, I just never got the feeling like that this guy was just – an unbelievable, can't miss, super god coach. And although he's had good reclasses from who would rank, you put in that class? I mean, there's only a handful, right? I mean, I don't even know who they are. Every coach, every coach is going to have warts, which is one thing that, that drives me nuts about college football is that it's, it's almost like fan bases want a guy who's won a national title already, will never have a bad season, will recruit in the top five, and will never leave. And it's like that just doesn't even really exist. Every coach has flaws. I think Mario has flaws. And I think Mario is also really, really good. And I think you can go out and find someone else who's going to be really, really good and have some flaws. And that's just life in, in college football. So he's really good. He's not, he's not necessarily irreplaceable. You don't disagree with that, right? I mean, I you basically just said it. I don't think you there's anybody that's irreplaceable. But right. I, think so that's the, what I think the closest thing you get to that right <clears throat> now is Saban. Exactly. But and I don't think maybe, anybody is total, maybe totally Dabo, right? irreplaceable. 
Um, what he's done is pretty phenomenal. No, no I'm, I'm not. Yeah. Let's not begin. Like, I'm not knocking at all. He, the thing he is, built is that it up to he, national championship contention. Right. Right. So and, when, and when someone he absolutely takes did, but he has right. he left himself vulnerable at the uh, at his own doing. Where now again, this is the quote unquote down year for them, and it's still not nine and three. You know, <laughs> you know horrific. But that's the point. But he left himself vulnerable when the staff was urging him for years to do something different. Now, I'll say he stayed true to principle, perhaps stubbornly so. And what this all has to do with is this has to do with on the back end, they do business a certain way. They don't, they offer guys late. You don't commit in the spring. You don't take visits in the spring, all these sorts of things. Um, so I, I, I'm a little shy of saying irreplaceable because hypothetically, like if, you know, if Dabo had gone to the NFL or something and Venables is still there, could they, could Brent Venables have taken over at Clemson? Uh, yeah, I, I think that was possible. But at the same, like, just as Ryan Day is taking over for, for Urban Meyer at Ohio State and what have you. Um, so I, that's why I say, like, I'm not sure that anyone other than Saban is truly irreplaceable in that someone who's shown such a level of success. And again, it's not just about their own winning. It's so many other things. Because even if somebody is able to then carry on for the next two, three, four years even in cycles and it's just the machine is bigger than the individual and they're able to sustain certain things, here's the thing that separates Saban. <laughs> Look at the back end of the staff chart. <laughs> That's where the line gets drawn because look at the number of assistants who leave and on an annual basis for different kinds of jobs, of NFL jobs, work their way up, and then he just is able to plug and play, and they sustain the way they do because of talent, recruiting, and whatever. If any other program had the kind of roster churn of staff that Alabama has had, <laughs> they'd be completely torpedoed. There would be Haven't no chance. Like four four office coordinators in the last six years or something like that? Is that I believe yeah, right around there, somewhere to that yeah. effect, because there was uh, uh, Sarkeesian, obviously now O'Brien before that. Uh, Lane was Kiffin. there. Right. Um, so and I, I'm trying to remember if there was somebody. In between. Who was before Kiffin? I, feel, uh, I think I thought Sark took over for Lane um, at the way the season ended, if memory serves me correct, when Lane got right. fired, uh, basically. Uh, but bottom line is, yeah, you have coordinator changes, you have position coach changes, you have all these things, and yet – the, the elephant keeps marching. Mm -hmm. um, that's where you say, when I talk about like irreplaceable, there are virtually nobody else in the sport, no matter how much they make, uh, no matter how many wins and no matter how many playoff appearances who are totally irreplaceable in that way. Kirby's getting there. He hasn't won the title yet. And had they actually won and finished off an undefeated regular season, he would have had a stronger case for it. And not instead of, you know, getting lit up uh, for the first time all season uh, by so Alabama. But, so well, I mean, they may get a shot at redemption, but be that yeah. as it may, uh, he's getting close. He's getting real close because of what he's built by way of their recruiting and roster and infrastructure and other things, which, you know, that's, like I say, the demarcation line between program and team. And I think today, I think Kirby might be the closest to that compared to Dabo, because I think now we're going to find out on Dabo, right? Mm -hmm. Off of a down year, quote unquote, 
and having to replace the longtime assistants, which he hadn't had to do before. You know, Jeff Scott leaving was one of the first things, and now Tony Elliott may, may end up taking a job as well. Venables leaves. Well, he had those guys were loyalists that had stayed true for so long. You know, you hadn't had that kind of churn. So that's where I say, like, to your point, only one or two people in the sport are truly irreplaceable. They truly have that level of infrastructure and backing. Um, but that doesn't mean that the, the hire is not unbelievably significant uh, and important given the changing dynamics of the league, given Lincoln Riley now being at USC, given DeBoer now taking over at Washington, um, and, and obviously Oregon State being more successful today than it was uh, when Mario took over four years ago. So there are, you know, the, the, this is still a very significant um, decision to come, but is anybody irreplaceable? As I say, I think there's only one or two coaches in the entire sport who are truly irreplaceable. Right. But be that as it may, on, um, on the potential candidates, Aaron. Uh, well, for, first, first, before we get to that, I'm okay, curious yeah. how you thought, how how'd you think things were handled? And before you go, let me just say that I've, you've covered, um, I feel like we cover football or cover college football a lot differently than each other because you covered it more in a place where it's just absolutely freaking psychotic. Whereas I covered a, a situation where it was, it was more tranquil and cerebral, not cerebral, but tranquil and um, less volatile because of Bilotti transitioning to Kelly transitioning to Helfrich. You know what I mean? So it wasn't mm-hmm. like you were down there when Alabama won the national title. And then two years later, they were like trying to get rid of Chizik, right? Yeah, Auburn, Auburn was the oh, sorry, first. Auburn, now, Auburn, uh, now, yeah. now LSU just replicated that yeah, uh, yeah, process. Yeah, exactly. Yes, so yes. so I'm curious. Like, I feel like, is there really like, – how do you handle something like this, quote-unquote, well? I mean, of course, he talked to Miami three weeks ago. You can't finalize this kind of thing. I mean, you could. But it's, it doesn't make sense if you would finalize something like this over the weekend. Of course, there were conversations. I don't believe for a second, and some fans are floating this out there, that this is why they lost to Utah twice because everyone was distracted. I don't believe that garbage. There's no way that even if he, even if Mario knew a month ago he was going to Miami, that doesn't mean he didn't want to beat Utah and go to the playoffs, right? Hell, that could have gotten him more money. <laughs> so, and plus he's a competitor. So I don't believe that was that much of a distraction. And yes, he told people he wasn't going to leave. And yes, he was undecided. And who knows really when he decided or whatever. And, and at the press conference, he acted like you guys were all on crack for asking him about it when we all knew this was going on. So everyone's question was legit. But he's acting all, you know, how dare you, making up hypotheticals and all that kind of garbage. But I almost feel like there's really no way to make this type of transition without it being at least a little messy, right? It was not handled well on Miami's side at all. Oh, yeah. Miami was just a Miami was just like walking up to a a man's wife and hitting on her right in front of him. Almost it seemed like with his wife with him. Like it was just absolutely psychotic. And then having his friends come over and do, you know, and help. Like it was just crazy. Anyway, go ahead. My, my, what Miami did to, to Manny and, and all that. I mean, cause the, uh, the, the hypothetical, yeah. the, the true hypothetical of, well, what if Mario actually had turned it down and they were going to really reverse course and say, Manny, we always loved you. Um, like, what are you nuts? Um, so like that again, the way they handled things, uh, on every level as an institution, uh, whoever was running, I, I'll say this. If they had an athletic director, I don't think they handle it the way they do. I think things right. are much more professional. I think things are much more, um, uh, I, I think the ship runs better over there if somebody was actually in charge, um, who, who has a conscience. Um, but you know, that's okay. That's their side. I, uh, from Mario's side, look, uh, <laughs> there's, this is business. 
Okay. It's not personal. It's business. You have agents for a reason. Right. Agents are there to negotiate for their client and maximize resources and return on investment in their client and sometimes options for their client and maximizing the resources in those options for their client. That's what agents are there for. So Mario might very well have not had official contact until Saturday morning. I have no reason to doubt that at all, actually. At all. Say that again? He had no, he had no contact. Mario personally may not have had any contact at all, as has been the stated case with anyone Anyone in an official capacity, in an official capacity. I'm talking about at the institution, not buddies of his who also happen to go there or something, uh, or, or, or boosters of the program. I'm talking about at a, a presidential level or whoever is officially running things or a board of trustee member or something. That yeah. may very well not have occurred until Saturday morning because I agree. his agent may very well, agents may very well have been having discussions for some time, just as they were having discussions for some time at Oregon. But that's their job. But you admit that Mario has had contact with other people in and around who have major influence, might not be an official title or an official title yet because a new AD might be coming. I mean, you do believe Mario's had some contact with some people who are big players. Right? I have no reason to suspect yes or no on that, but at the same time, he's got he's got some of those some of those people who you describe some of the the way you describe that. Some of those people are people who are literally like not just friends or former teammates, but some I think are even related by blood or marriage. <laughs> right. So like you know, depending on how you want to put that, it'd be like nah, I can't. Has he not talked to a cousin or something? I mean, like they're they're literally like some people involved at the institution on like a booster level or something that like. You know, you, you get you make something too vague. It's like, why? Well, I, I mean, <laughs> you can kind of trip yourself up on, on on using too many descriptions. Bottom line, like I say, agents have a role here. It is to negotiate on the on the business side of things. How it was handled though, in terms of him over the weekend going recruiting. Again, this is business. You do the job until you don't have the job. That's, right. that's how it works. Like, I mean, is, yeah. I'm not telling you it's not awkward. I'm not telling you it wasn't clunky, but you do the job until you don't have the job. He has to go on a, on an Alamo Bowl video conference that is absurd. Yes. That because that's just what has to happen. Right. right. He didn't set it. <laughs> he didn't schedule it. They didn't say, Mario, do you really want to do this? Like, it, it has, it's an obligation. It's a responsibility yeah. of the job that he had. He's on the road. He's recruiting. He's doing his job. He's in Southern California. He pulls us aside. Okay, here's a two o'clock video conference. You know, put on a happy face and uh, do the thing for ten minutes. That you do the job until you don't have the job. That it, it's the business side of things. You know, so in terms of from like for fans who, are, who feel jilted or some kind of way about that part of the process on Saturday or Sunday, they say for one, how many of you are contract employees? If you're a contract employee, how many of you have agents? If you're a contract employee who does have an agent, how many of you are negotiating an eighty or ninety million dollar decision in your life? Right. So this is just it, you can't put yourself in me the once, shoes. but it fell you through. Can't. Anyway. I mean, you, you you just can't begin to draw analogies because you right. don't work in that kind of world. But you, know, the you don't kids, have those people negotiating with kids. you. But the kids, what about the yeah. kids? Yeah. He, well, he, he turned his back on the kids. I'm so tired of that. that that's, well, again, that, bottom line, <laughs> um, it's business. And this was not a money grab. You know, there's, there's ways less. where you could. It's right? not a money grab. 
basically, I think it was basic for all intents and purposes. I think it was basically the same, the same either the same either literally the same I've, or I've post tax the same one way or another. Oh yeah, after t- well yeah, that's um, a great point. I mean, but so the numbers or- out there are eighty, eighty. Miami gave him eighty. Oregon gave him eighty. We're offered eighty-five. Taxes alone would switch would make Miami. And again, I was told at a seventy-year base, and then there was incentives, and they, right. they could easily get past. They just as now he's at the mid four was at the mid fours, and then it was going to yeah. be well. It was already at seven hundred uh, five seven whatever it was seven yeah seven hundred thousand in, in performance bonuses. I was going to take it to five, and it could have gone to more than that. And anyway, bottom line, the dollars figures was not the issue here. It was not an issue here. It was everything else. The dollar, in terms of a, a, a or B conversation, that was not the issue. Um, and then whenever it, it really came down to a, all other things being equal, what do you do? Well, then you saw how it played out. But in terms of the back end, like I say, this is why you have agents. So I, I basically would say to any fan who, who feels some kind of way or, or is upset about it, well, put yourself in your position with however many commas are in your paycheck and say, all right, now put yourself and say you have an agent. Now Wait, say you have that commas in your paycheck. <laughs> now I don't say have that commas uh, in my paycheck. <laughs> depending on how much I contribute to my 401, I think answers that question. Uh, but <laughs> th- things that people who are uh, head football coaches don't have to worry about. Um, but <laughs> truly put yourself where you have an agent and you're in a competitive marketplace where there's seven and eight figures floating around and highly competitive, hyper-competitive, and somebody else is doing the bidding for you in terms of the back-end uh, talks, you, you don't want them to, to maximize opportunity and, and seek those opportunities? I mean, that's what again, that's what you're paying them for. That's what they're there for. So I, to me, I, again, I'm not, I have no skin in the game. As I say all the time, the reason why, you know, th- this is the ultimate example to fans of like fans who never believe like, oh, but you cover the team. You got to love the team. You got to love them winning. They're like, no, I really don't care. And here's why. And here's another perfect example of why and how. Because as they say all the time, like, oh, you got to, this is the job. You got to ask the questions, good, bad, or otherwise, win or loss. Because why? Because I'll be here whether you are or not. Mm-hmm. And here we are amid a coaching search. And that's why. And on the other side of it, because you mentioned at the press conference Friday night, I never take anything personal in those settings unless something becomes like an actual personal attack, which virtually never happens. Um, but I've, I've in past times have had some individual conversations, not here to be clear, um, where some things maybe get a little personal. Never once was anything ever in a press conference setting or otherwise with Mario personal. I talked to him yesterday before he went on radio. I talked to him for 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Everything was fine. For everything was like, oh, he's at the press conference and he's saying this I and know. he's, you know, snapping at you and I go like, he's never happy after a loss. I'm leading off the way it is. I never, I'm not taking it personal whatsoever. Anybody who feels some kind of way for me, well, I mean, yeah. I guess thanks, but this is what, what do you expect to say? Well, funny, James, thank you so much for asking that question. Let me, <clears throat> let me pull out my folder here. Uh, uh, agent, would you like to come in and uh, share the, <laughs> what, what do you, I mean, what, what were you expecting the answer to be? So no, like I let, you know, like I say, I talked to him yesterday. I congratulated him immediately. Uh, and I, I wholeheartedly meant that, you know, and again, I'll keep the rest of the conversation. It was private conversation, private conversation, but now everything was, was as, uh, uh positive cordial uh professional as you could be um I, I never took anything personal but the point is is why the demarcation line and what we do versus fans is like i say 
Because we're here when they're not. Because yeah, I get paid the same whether they lose or they yep. win. Because I will say this. I've got a role Go to play and a job to do, whether they're hanging a banner or carrying a trophy or they're in a coaching search. That's just, yes. Yes. This is how, this is how I difference. always describe it. I would prefer that the teams I cover win because it's more fun to cover a playoff run or a big time bowl than, you know, like um, Nick is going to the LA bowl. Well, that's, I, that's fun if you're an Oregon state fan, but after covering roses and that's like, I don't, I'd rather cover the bigger bowls, but I'm not emotionally involved. If they lose, I'll be like, Oh, that's a shame. You know, it's too bad. If they win, I'm like, Oh, good for them. I get to cover a, a bigger event. That's how I look at it. Now, when you write features on kids and you get to know their parents a little bit, I think it's human nature to you would prefer to see someone you've gotten to know experience success than someone you don't know. But again, you're not going to cry about it. You're not, you're doing your job. It's just, it's a function of the process of, of doing our jobs that we cover these things and there's highs and lows for the teams that we cover, but we're, we're, we're detached from that emotion. Uh, for the most part. So I mean, I, we agree completely on that. And, and we've both had coaches who give us a little crap. And you just kind of look at them like, I remember Chip used to be a little snarky sometimes. And I would just look at him and smile. And sometimes? Yeah, I, I would just, but we, we had, he and I had some hilarious exchanges. Uh, I won't get into the details of them, but like sometimes I would just look at him, shake my head and be like, come on, bro. Like, <laughs> no, that's not going to fly. But that, I, I actually appreciate it because it would be just a little sparring thing. And it's, you know, and then away from that, he wouldn't be that way. And sometimes fans would actually think, oh, Chip hates you. Good luck getting Chip to talk to you again. And I'm like, dude, I'm talking to him right now. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? So anyway, that's, that's, uh, I think fans need to understand that how we approach this is completely different than how they view it. And that said, and that's fine. That's fine. That and, and just said, as Mario said yesterday, and it's okay for people not to understand. It's okay for yeah. people not to understand why I would leave. It's okay for people not to understand the dynamics because when you're not there, and because you're, because they are invested on an emotional level because mm-hmm. part of being a college sports and well, part of what makes college sports great, but it's important to admit a coaching search to, to say some of these things because it matters. Part of what makes college sports unique and different and better and great, even than pro sports at times is because when you, the fan are dialed in and invested the way you are, it's in part, especially if you're an alum, because it's part of who you are. Mm-hmm. Your identity is based on the fact that you went to school A, B, or C. And if you grew up in that state particularly and it's, it's that much more of a thing and you're a legacy where, you know, mom or dad went or both parents went there. But, you know, you're just so invested in. So you can't begin to comprehend why somebody else isn't in the same way. That's great. Where it obviously turns is when vitriol comes out on either the social media world or other things or a coaching change happens or you can't believe that there's such a thing as objectivity in the media <laughs> because you aren't. Fine. But like I say, those are all the things that make college sports fun and great. But it's okay not to understand why somebody would pursue a different opportunity, even though that's for Mario to go back to his school and his home. Um, Just because Oregon wasn't his, Miami is. Um, It's okay for people who cover the institutions and the news of the day to, like I say, be totally neutral down the middle objective and and not have a dog in the fight and just be pulling for either their stories their deadlines mm-hmm. um now it doesn't mean you don't feel good for doesn't mean you don't feel good for people on the way um whether we're talking about 
know, in college athletics, we talked about earlier in the season, like a guy like a Cam McCormick and the number of injuries he sustained, and you're pulling for mm-hmm. the guy on a human level to right, just be right, able right. to not incur any other hardship in a life um, that right. football has dealt them. Yeah, those sorts of things. But like celebrating uh, uh, if a player scores a touchdown or not or catches a pass or hits a three-point or what? No. I just, it's, no. I mean, you know, again, I'm, I'm writing the story one way or the other. Um, you know, I'm, 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 guess what? Again, I, I showed up wait, many hours before kickoff. I'll be there many hours after, um, and and not going to be sleeping before hopping on the plane the next day. And all those like all those things don't change. So that's why I say like it's part of the process um, on the back end, and that's why I say the business side of it in terms of how things are handled, whatever. I, that's why I say it's it's business because when you're in the business on albeit on our side of the fence of it, but when you're in the business, it's it's business. You're listening to Ducks Confidential. We'll be back after a quick break. So I'm dying to hear who your who your candidates are. Do you, or you, you're not much in the hypotheticals, like Chip. So do you even bother with candidates? Well, I put out a I put out a seven um, potential oh, candidates okay, list, it. and uh, and yes, Chip was on it, um, and. Uh, so for those who haven't seen it, but many, many people have, but just to quickly, um, just go over the names in alphabetical order as it states in the story. <laughs> Seven potential um, candidates for the Oregon. So, Ducks, I uh, I mentioned, uh, Dave Aranda at Baylor, his offense coordinator, mm-hmm. Jeff Grimes at Baylor, Brian Harson, uh, formerly at Boise State, now at Auburn. Uh, yes, Chip, uh, Bill O'Brien at Alabama, Kalani Sataki at BYU and Justin Wilcox, obviously a Cal and, uh, a UO alum. Those are the seven who I mentioned, uh, Ooh. Uh, I, so let me ask you this. Are, are these, I'm debating you, adding three or four more to that list. Oh, you are? Okay. Because I was going to ask yes. you, um, do you believe one's going to come from this list or this is just a preliminary? Well, I mean, I'm not doing it for only entertainment or clicks. That's for sure. Um, well, I mean, I know, but, uh, I know, but there's, <laughs> I mean, there's, you know what I mean? There's a difference between, okay, here's a bunch of candidates, but I have no clue if there's someone else. And I think it's going to be one of these seven. That's what I'm asking. It basically using, Kind of, I, I, whenever I put out these potential candidate lists, and this is the reason why I say potential because it's not like I'm part of the search committee. Um, you know, they're yeah. not consulting me. You're um, not? Why? Amazingly. I, I should go into the college <laughs> coaching, uh, consultant business. Um, because, you know, apparently it's quite lucrative. Um, but, <laughs> but no, but because sometimes it comes down to like informed speculation, I'd say. Um, so in this case, it was admittedly a little bit of a, uh, expedited um, by way of it. I'm going to kind of expound on uh, uh, some of the bios that I wrote or some of the, the blurbs that I wrote on each of these guys and like it might add to it. So etc. cetera. But um, why, how, how it comes about is like when, when Mullins, you know, and naturally he's trying to be as vague as possible because you don't want to box yourself in or give away anything and all that kind of stuff. And, and that right. goes out saying, but in terms of, when, when, for instance, like fans are saying, well, if you have the kind of resources available, like they were talking for Mario, is that going to be available for the next guy and what have you? Well, when you, that's why I said to him yesterday in the press conference, I asked, like, basically, if you're, if you're shopping in that area, I think what I said is like, if you're on that area of the Monopoly board, that's, there's just finite people mm-hmm. who are in that. There's only so many boardwalks and park places to be had, <laughs> right. you know, you're not, let's put it this way. They're not shopping in the light blue or, they're not the looking category. at Oriental Avenue. You know, they're, uh, there's, there's <laughs> boardwalk James in this place. park place. There's, there's, 
North Carolina. They're they're at Connecticut, yeah. North Carolina, and Boardwalk and Park Place. That's what Oregon's thinking for sure. Yeah, there's 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 the greens and the blues. <laughs> you don't want to be in the purples. Um, apparently, in the dollar figures, they've passed the yellows, or you know, there's some they've passed the oranges, oh, they're near yeah, the yellows, yeah. greens kind of. Oh, yeah. So, bottom line is, there's just finite people to be had in that area of the Monopoly board. So. Um, that's why I mentioned somebody like Aranda because yes, you've heard, well, there's negotiations at Baylor and all that. And since they're a private school, you don't know what the numbers would be from the original contract or how much higher would higher be and all those sorts of things. Um, so he's somebody who just naturally fits. He just won the big 12, had the big turnaround from the year before Southern California guy. Um, defense is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and has been from his time at Wisconsin, won a national title at LSU, uh, has obviously done again, terrific job quickly at Baylor. Um, and it's just a, a unbelievable defensive mind, uh, absolutely spectacular, uh, and would uh, attract a lot of people uh, to join a staff and things like that around him. Uh, again, has Jeff Grimes, we naturally attracted on on offense, and I think that could, you know, I, I think it would be a little bit of an illusion of grandeur by way of saying like package deal because I think Grimes, as a two time Broyles finalist, might very well be in the running for any number of jobs right now that are open, um, including potentially Oregon, but. Uh, I, I think a place like, quite frankly, Virginia may very well pursue somebody like a Jeff Grimes. Um, but be that as it may, those are a couple of those guys. When you're talking about like basically proven head coaches, when, when Rob says things like, well, success and ability to run and leadership, 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 but ability to run a top 10 program, it's like, well, you need to start crossing off Dabo and Nick and Kirby and Ryan Day and Brian Kelly and Lincoln Riley. And you, know, you start crossing off the guys who just are not leaving. And mm-hmm. you go, well, then where is the next? Here, there. Who's so wouldn't there Miranda, who would wouldn't Miranda leave Baylor for Oregon? That's my point. Is that I think he would, if he the would. money, if the money is actually, I have no yeah. idea what Baylor is is offering in in its deal, which is not finalized at all. So I don't know. Like I'm, I, is, is Baylor offering him five million, six million, seven million, eight million? I have no earthly idea. Right. Um, now he's a really loyal guy. Baylor gave him the shot, you know, and he's a really low key guy. Uh, so you know, there are things to be considered there. I don't, I'm not saying Dave Rand is absolutely interested in the job. I don't know. I am trying to learn that information today. <laughs> I'm working to try and identify some of that. Um, but point is, is would I swing for that? Uh, and, and is he somebody who fits the criterion as outlined? Yeah, of course. Um, so I think, you know, for fans who want to, in their own mind, you know, what is a home, quote unquote home run or what is the big, big swing to me? That's it. Um, in terms of from a, from a regional conference point, that's why I mentioned a chip or a Wilcox. Um, but I understand for fans who have levels of either loyalty with either one or both or apprehension about either one. So let me ask you about, about Aranda. So someone like that. Um, so, Given that Oregon has, or Oregon reportedly offered Mario 10 years, 85, which I literally fell over when I saw that. Do you think, in part to save face and in part to lure a big name to help you save face, do you think they would go out there with that number? Because I'm thinking, like, if I'm a football coach who has a good enough resume to maybe attract the job, and I heard they offered Mario Cristobal 10 years, 85. I'm calling my agent and saying, yeah, hey, John, have you contacted Oregon yet? And if he said no, I'm saying you're fired. Or <laughs> get on the phone right now. They're throwing around $85 million. I want in on that. So do you think Phil Knight would help back an offer like that to try and 
lure someone like this? I think the marketplace bared out that certain coaches are worth certain numbers. And I don't think right. So I'm saying, do you think he do you think he is worth eighty five million dollars? Aranda, we're talking yeah. about specifically. If you, I think yeah, Aranda if you were is, offer and again, I'm I'm going on the original number that I was told of seven by way of initial starting seven base plus That's bonuses that could go over. That's for and Mario. You talking about Mario? That was what I was told on Friday okay. was the situation. Okay. Again, that doesn't mean that the eighty five number is wrong. It means that the eighty five might have been because of bonuses and other things. Right, 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 right. Okay. Because just as the four, three, four, five, four, six was Right. So a my, base okay, on, reg- to build so regardless, on regardless of seven. Oregon eight, is, is Oregon is net Oregon's all of their coaches' contracts for all sports always have a base and then there are always bonuses. Yeah, They're not right, a place no, that I just says that. we're at X and then whatever you achieve, you achieve. And we're not going to pay you a dime more if you actually win a championship because we expected it. It's never the way they've done business. No, no. I understand that. What I'm saying is whatever contract they offered Mario, would they erase Mario's name and put Aranda's name in there and present that to him? Do you think? I think that's a valid – I I think he might be one of the only coaches available at all on any level. Is Fickle available? No. No. Who's leaving a team in the playoff? Right. No, no, no. He was still he was still finished the season. But I'm saying someone who reached the playoffs. So you Cincinnati. want so you have signing day in eight days. Dude, he's under. I'm, so you wouldn't. Okay, that's that's why I hate college football. But anyway, I'm just so you're saying he's off the. I'm table saying you want he, so he you want him to take a deal of of that proportion, leave his team now. No, 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 not leave. But no, 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 no. But no, stay stay with his team to coach them. But in yeah. terms of recruiting, oh, well, that's somebody else's problem at Cincinnati. I'm over here selling this for eight more days, but then I'm going to come back here, finish this play for national so, championship. So if you're in the playoffs, semifinal. you can't. So in the playoffs, you're just, all, you're just untouchable. One, I don't think Fickle does it in general. Two, I don't think Fickle comes to the Pacific Northwest. Three, I'm not sure if Fickle stays at Cincinnati or not, but it's certainly more viable now that they're going to the Big 12. That's, okay, that's I, all you I, had to say. any number of reasons. That's all yeah. you had to say, yo. I, I, that, he, he's not, he's not a reasons. thing. Okay. Okay, fine. So, so I mean, I'm not telling you I don't think he's a great coach. I think he's a phenomenal coach, but I don't see him as a fit here uh, uh, in general because of, of geography, culture, and other things. And then factor in, yes, that his team is playing in a national semifinal, and that's what's taking up his attention and time at the moment. Um, and and basically that he's not Brian Kelly. Let's put it that way. Um, so yeah. so Conzano put out that Oregon had already reached out to Chip. That was, I think, Friday he put that out there. And then I talked to someone who's not one of the big power brokers, but is right there with that crew who's in the know. And he said, definitely, that's a, that's on the table. What do you think about that option? Um, and obviously, you know, you were you didn't cover Chip, but you know, thankfully, what Chip, <laughs> but you know what Chip meant. Uh, but here's the thing: I'm gonna tell you right now. I think Chip would like you. Here, here's the thing about Chip. Chip hates dumb questions. He likes smart questions. You ask intelligent questions. I think sometimes Mario thinks you're too inside football with your questions and gets annoyed, but that's his problem. I think Chip would appreciate you. So just so you know. Um, but what do you think that is something that would be good for the program? I think those who want to go and try and relive the past <laughs> cloud their own nostalgia. And I think that 
I think trying to wind the clock back and hope that it just gets even better. Um, I don't think that that Dude, works out very Mar- often. Chip Kelly is a better coach than Mario Cristobal. Zero doubt in my mind about that. You give those guys the exact same roster, Chip beats his ass. You don't give anybody a roster. I'm just you saying, better coach. You have to identify uh, I, 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 and acquire wait, wait, wait. talent. Okay, again, I, I said coach. We can talk about identifying talent and recruiting in a second. Coach. Right, you draw demarcation lines by way of No, I'm, we're, we're, we're compartmentalizing. He's yes. a better coach. Now let's talk about identifying and, inquire, and, and acquiring talent. Okay, the most important thing you have to obviously do is find a quarterback, which Mario has failed miserably in that regard. Okay, so I have major reservations about him just in that case because had he found a legit quarterback, they might have been in the playoffs right now. But he had four classes to do that in. As far as identifying So talent, now you've given up Chip on did, Ty Thompson and Jay Butterfield. Chip, Chip, no, they're not ready today. They, I said this year. He didn't right. have a quarterback ready for this year. I'm not talking about future. This year. You're this talking year, about identifying, two guys close. identifying they're here. No, no. Okay, wait. Had he, f- but they're not ready to play this year. I'm saying he, they would have made the playoffs this year had he found a quarterback already and developed one and had one ready who could play this year. Ty Thompson might be great in 2023. It doesn't matter today. That's what I'm talking about. He had four recruiting cycles to find a quarterback and his starting quarterback was a 2016 Boston College recruit. So he failed at finding a quarterback. Had he found a legit quarterback, they would be in the playoffs right now. So my, my chip found legit quarterbacks. And Chip won with those quarterbacks. Chip won with lesser recruiting rank, ranked classes bigger than Mario has. Granted, he had the advantage of the blur offense, which he developed. Now, some people can say, oh, it's passed him by BS. UCLA led the, led the league in points. So I think, I don't think Chip is going to rattle off three straight conference titles again like he did, but I don't believe anyone's going to come to Oregon and build a perennial we're going to win it every year and be in the national playoff contention every year. Things are ever going to happen anyway. I've been saying that for 15 years. I think there's a, there's a happy medium. So I believe absolutely that Chip would come back to Oregon and when he had the right quarterback, he would win and have a shot at making the playoffs. I I think Chip or Helfrich would have had Herbert in New York for the Heisman ceremony. And I think Chip would come here. They'd, he'd get a different type of staff. They'd ha- he'd get some good recruiters. They'd recruit well because it's Oregon. And I think he would do every bit as well as Mario would have done moving forward. Absolutely freaking lutely. You disagree. <laughs> well, you have Aaron's perspective, folks. Um, Absolutely. Again, you, well, you, you and then I'm my looking, second guy. What can I say? I'm Go looking. For, I, I, when, when they land at the airport, should that occur, uh, I expect you to be there with a bottle of champagne for Chip. I, I, I don't bottle, think Chip or would, bottle, 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 Chip bottle would wine. It. Bottle of wine. I don't think Chip would do it. The the other thing is, and I know this is not very sexy at all, but if they strike out on swinging for the fences on Aranda and everyone else. I would go back to the guy they should have hired. I thought they should have hired in 2017, and that's Josh Wilcox. It's not sexy to a lot of people, but he's a very Justin. good defensive coach. Sorry, I, I'm sorry. I worked with Josh for a couple of years, and I always screw that up. He's, that's his brother. Justin, sorry, thank you. I, I swear it's 50-50 whether I get Justin or Josh right. Anyway, Justin Wilcox. Cal, you know, tough place to recruit to. He's obviously had good defenses. Offense has been an issue. He clearly would have way better offensive talent at Oregon. He'd have better defensive talent at Oregon. He could bring back uh, Keith Hayward, who obviously really good recruiter. They could find some other guys who obviously could help recruit. Bring in a hot shot offensive coordinator. Maybe you give him a pool of money to really go out and get a really elite level coordinator. I think Wilcox would win. 
what, you know, he's not going to be Oregon. I don't believe there's anybody is going to be a perennial anything. I think Wilcox would win at a reasonably high clip and he would never leave for his dream job because this is his dream job. Again, it may not be sexy to most fans, but I think, I think it, I think it would be a successful, solid pick that would give Oregon a guy who's not going to go anywhere. You hate them both. Look at you. I can see your face. I wish everyone could see his face. He's disgusted with me. He is disgusted with me right now. Again, you've got Aaron's perspective, <laughs> folks. Um, he's, uh, he's shared with you. Break it down. Seeing as how I have to uh, cover whoever the coach is, uh, should it be Chip, You're Justin, or him. any number of candidates, um, I'm just going to say that I've identified them as potential candidates. <laughs> For any number of criterium and reasons, particularly their uh, uh, their happenstance in being head coaches in the Pac-12, uh, who are gamefully employed by institutions in the conference uh, and have prior connections to the institution oh in God. question. Uh, but uh, in terms of uh, other potential models uh, with coaches who are uh, on the rise in the industry, uh, the Broyles Award was just awarded today. That's for the top oh assistant God. in college football. And uh, Josh Gaddis, the offensive coordinator at Michigan, got the uh, award this year. Uh, I think there is a oh – I, I don't think I'm – not, I'm not sure yet if there's any conversation mm-hmm. on any level at Oregon in the search process about this. But I think there would be merit um, in the idea, in the premise, in the hypothetical – of taking a different kind of model to all of this. And by that, I say, I mean, in Gaddis, you have a guy in his mid-30s. Right. In Dan Lanning at Georgia, you have a guy in his mid-30s, both of whom are play-calling coordinators, offensively for Gaddis, defensively for Lanning, mm-hmm. uh, both of whom who are absolutely relentless recruiters. Lanning's been in the top 10, I think, for the last several years since he's been at Georgia, uh, previously worked at Alabama for a year. Uh, so he's got the connections there to the, the Saban Kirby, um, tree and institution, but understands the system would fit the back end infrastructure, uh, that Mario's put in place. But you have guys in their mid thirties. Uh, I think there is, there would be merit to a very different kind of model. Uh, as opposed to find if, if an Aranda or some, or somebody of that caliber isn't necessarily either interested, available or, or, uh, um, an option that if you went with the younger, High energy, high octane recruiting crazed, but proven at the high level of play calling coordinator. But both of these guys, Gaddis and Lanning are coordinate, play calling coordinators, but working for head coaches on their side of the ball. So they're ordering off the menu. Um, I think there is merit to the idea of trying to take a different kind of approach and saying rather than basically do it in the aggregate. Don't do it in, uh, pouring resources into any one at the extreme. Do it more in the aggregate. And frankly, like, this is something that, like, Edge uh, Ordron tried to do at LSU at first. Like, when he got the job, it became about, less about his salary. And he went and got out the coordinators and paid them bundles full of cash and to where actually they were basically almost earning as much as he was, um, initially. And then they won the championship and he got a whole bunch of money and now he's fired and he's got a whole bunch of money. But point is, is I think there's different ways to go about it. There's different models to go about it. Um, I'm not saying that is what's going to happen. I'm saying that there's, opportunity there i think in terms of trying to sustain at an extremely high level in recruiting guys who have shown it and the ability to recruit it because here's the thing you're never going to be able to recruit if you just based um if you're trying to take somebody and say well 
recruit only the West Coast, recruit only the Pacific Northwest. Like Pacific Northwest, <laughs> you good luck with that. that. That ain't happening. Um, and then just say like, oh well, now go and just get a bunch of guys who can recruit the West Coast and Southern California now that Lincoln's there. Um, and that's saying don't, don't don't be afraid of that reality, but easier said than done. You know, you got to be able to recruit other spots. You know, there's a lot of things on the back end of infrastructure by way of plans, uh, recruiting maps and plans that uh, Chris Ball had in place for how to go about acquiring certain talents, certain positions, um, ratios of regions, other things like that that go into play. Uh, I, I think that reaching out to other people in the country, uh, either for the head coach or coordinators or both, still has to be a viability. There's also been a movement here in the last couple of hours um, from at least uh, a handful of players have taken to social media to suggest and call for uh, Brian McClendon to be retained and uh, made the head coach in a permanent basis. Um, you know, I'm not going to say that, you know, three or four or five tweets or whatever is is ultimately going to be the swing of things. But clearly, um, he has the room. And these are not all receivers, to be clear, uh, for everybody. Uh, in fact, it's several defensive players um, who, have, who have done so. So, um, obviously, again, a renowned recruiter, somebody who uh, fits the culture in a big way, and would be able to, from a quote-unquote CEO perspective, um, probably be capable of it, even though he has had a hard time by way of the play-calling time, a coordinator at South Carolina, though there was a lot of circumstance there by way of quarterback injury, but be that as it may. Um, he is obviously in the interim capacity right now for the bowl game and uh, has done that before Georgia. And again, he's recruited heavily down there. Is he somebody who, uh, hypothetically, if they were to actually make that on a permanent basis uh, is he somebody who could attract coordinators who could do and take kind of the model like I was just talking about and almost be like a hybrid. All right, well you keep McClendon, but then he goes out and gets a guy on each side uh, in the recruiting realm and what have you. I, I think that's certainly possible. Um, I, I'm not saying it's you know, high likelihood. I'm not saying you know, I'm putting numbers and ratios and percentages on it. I'm just saying like there are different ways to go about this. There is the, Go take the biggest swing possible, get an Aranda type coach or a, a extremely high level coordinator who's older, more proven, has a longer resume, what have you. And then they hire who they hire. There is the um, uh, West Coast based uh, ties to the program and history approach uh, and wherever things may go there. There's also, again, like somebody like a Kalani Sataki at BYU, where uh, has achieved obviously some great. Great success at BYU, a tremendous job at BYU uh, in his time there, but hasn't had the same kind of resources, hasn't had the same kind of footprint. Obviously, it's a very different situation to recruit there as opposed to Oregon, as opposed to some other spots. So there's, like I say, there's a lot of different ways to go with it. Um, but like I said, there's also, I mentioned a couple of the guys who are up for the Broyles, uh, whether we're talking about Grimes, Gaddis, Lanning, um, guys previously who've been in that realm. And while the, why the Broyles matters for folks who aren't um, as familiar or don't follow it as closely and aren't that dialed in. When you're a Broyles finalist, it's almost a, a guarantee. In any offseason, two to three of the five finalists are head coaches the next season. I mean, it's, it's basically a, a mortal lock. If you're a two-time finalist, as Grimes and Lanning are, you can, I mean, it, it, it's almost unheard of. Uh, I think Kirby was at one point or another, uh, certainly. But point is, when, when you're a finalist, when you're the winner, it's basically like you, you're, you're headed someplace in a hurry. Kind of thing. And obviously they're both, you know, Gaddis and Lanning uh, are both in the playoff, Grimes in a, a New Year's Six Bowl. So 
that has a lot to do with you hearing case in point, Jim Knowles was, was a finalist and you're hearing about how he's the lead candidate for defensive coordinator at Ohio state from, Oregon, uh, from Oklahoma state. So that's where like things happen very, very quickly for these guys. Well, that's why I mentioned some of them guys who also fit that criterion, who I think I'm, uh, and we were discussing this last night when I was on Twitter spaces a little bit. Um, Jim Leonard at Wisconsin, who has passed up on some just absolutely obscene jobs um, to keep making a bundle of cash as the defensive coordinator at Wisconsin. But sooner or later, he's going to get that opportunity. I've been told they want him to get a head coaching job. They will absolutely um, support him in every way imaginable when a head coaching job that he actually wants to take becomes available. Um, you don't worry about regional fit and those sorts of things as much. This is about tactician, again, just the, everything that Leonard brings to the table from those standpoints, then trying to put the infrastructure around it. Um, he would be one that comes to mind also. And, uh, and Jeff Halfley, uh, at, at Boston College right now, where I know it's a couple of six win seasons and people go like, really? You know, you look at his record. He'd be like, again, what I mentioned, Broyles finals went from the NFL background, walked in at Ohio State, DC and secondary coach, won the Broyles in 19, was a head coach at Boston College the following year. Uh, and, and has a couple of six win seasons, which is not easy to do at Boston College, uh, and had quarterback change for that case in point. Uh, you know, and, and yes, had a quarterback injury this year, uh, and where that quarterback is set to come back. So becomes a little bit more difficult, frankly, potentially, uh, to, to woo him away, but not making a bundle of cash. Um, and there's somebody clearly on the rise. And I don't think he's long for Boston College one way or another. Um, but I think if, Basically, if certain other things fall through, these are some other names who I put in. When you're talking about committing the kind of resources that Oregon may be committing or willing to commit, these are some of the areas you start looking. But if you just want to do geographic fit and, and you know, history, well, you can pull the, you know, the yearbook off the shelf anytime you want. That's always there. You can go through your phone, you know, photo library anytime you wish. Listen, man, listen. That's always not there one, for you. Not one coach you name has been anywhere near the national playoffs or national championship game as a head coach. Right? Dave Aranda just won a as big a ball coach. championship. Yeah, he's only been a head coach as, for two years. Okay. N- not one coach you name, I'll say it again, yeah. has been near a playoff game or a national championship game as a head coach. Right? I'm just making a statement, neither, right? Neither, yes, yeah, you know. right. But neither was okay. Mario. So. As a head coach. Right. But when you say going back in time and pulling something off the shelf, I think you're talking about Chip. I'm just trying to remind you that Chip has climbed the mountain Oregon wants to climb. And that he would have done it twice had he stayed. So the idea that because he hasn't had great success at UCLA yet, Mario, what did Mario do before Oregon? What, what was it? What was his thing? So Mario went from FIU to eighty-five million dollars and a job he fell ass backwards into because Taggart left. But now Mario, oh my God, let's slobber all over Mario. But Chip, oh no, we wouldn't want Chip. That doesn't make any logical sense, whatever. Also, I mentioned Wilcox, and your eyes went in the back of your head. I think Wilcox has beaten Mario with way lesser talent and almost beat him this year. You were there. They were on a four-yard line. You give Wilcox Oregon's offensive talent and Oregon's defensive talent, you give them the exact same rosters, Wilcox beats the snot out of Mario. So I'm just saying, I I do not disagree with anything you said about all the other guys, and I think they should do whatever they want. But I do not think Chip 
and Wilcox are uh, coaches. I think they easily could do just as good as anyone you named. That's all I'm saying. On one thing we agree. <laughs> in your compartment of coaches, which I say in-game and game week, I completely agree with you. Completely agree with you. Mm-hmm. They are great football minds. Great, great football minds. I think Chip, at the era that he was here as an offensive coordinator and as a head coach, achieved a lot with the talent that he had. Some of it truly great. And they got a lot accomplished. Obviously, how can you possibly refute that? I think what Justin Wilcox has done with the resources available at Cal, and he has been dealt the hand from hell the past two years, uh, by way of circumstance out of his control, has been great at times. At times. Nobody made him hire some of the offensive coordinators he's hired. You know, circumstance didn't do that. The city of Berkeley public health department didn't do that. <laughs> the pool but, of money available may have done that. But if you come to Oregon and you give him 1.8 million, but, come to or- let him come to Oregon, give, give him like what they did with Taggart. You know, with, with Helfers, they give him 600 grand for Hoke and then complain because Hoke wasn't any good, even though he had a young batter team that he didn't recruit. And then they go give Taggart 1.3 million for Levitt. Like it's just it's picking and choosing what you want to do. Give Wilcox two million dollars to go hire a coordinator. Is he going to hire a good coordinator? Probably. I don't think. <clears throat> I don't think uh, <laughs> Oregon should uh, ever be in the conversation to where a coordinator doesn't work out, goes and works at Cal Poly. Um, but uh, be that as it may, oh, they, what they have oh. achieved, what they have okay. achieved. In terms of on the field game week coaching and their the football minds is tremendous. Acumen is tremendous. Tremendous. Oregon's, Oregon's coordinator just went two and ten at you. But you but don't go ahead. Quote unquote. And the other, one, and the other one's give. going to Akron, but go ahead. Oregon's last two coordinators, two and ten at UNLV, and the other one's going to Akron. But go, but go ahead. The biggest rebuild in the entire <laughs> FBS and geography because of where saying. his family's from. I'm and just saying. Yeah. You know. I'm just saying. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, there's a lot of circumstance. But uh, you you want you want you want them to hire. Now, again, I'm not against anything you but said you, about But the point is, is you get but to you the, expect, give this guy, give this guy. And I'm saying you don't just give anybody anything. The other part of college football coaching outside of the game week, as significant as it is, is that you actually have to have that talent. Right. And, and I, neither one of the men you have mentioned has ever shown the ability to recruit and acquire talent on a national level that is required of this job. If they're getting paid seven and eight million dollars. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Under Kelly, they had classes, I think they were 12, 9, and something else. Something right close to 10. They had Buckner, Armstead, Mariota. They had several high-end first-round picks. It's not like they had garbage. They had some good players. Ifo would have been a first-round pick. Like It's not like they didn't have any talent. And during that stretch from Bilotti through, they recruited really well. LeMichael, et cetera, et cetera. Freeman, on, so on and so forth. So, you know, the t- I would argue that the talent level of those teams – that, well, those teams beat the last couple Oregon teams, by the way. Um, regardless of star rankings, those teams would beat these teams. I don't, I don't see the same level of, I don't, well, quarterback alone changes everything. So we put Mariota on this team, they go to the playoffs. But anyway, so I think you're underselling clearly Mario superior, superior recruiter to chip. You'd make chip bring, go out, obviously get a staff of some elite recruiters, and then they're going to recruit classes in the top 10. And he's going to have better talent. He's going to be a better, uh, definitely a better offense. Oh my God. That's another thing too. I, I'm sure you've heard this as well. A lot of boosters out there are tired of this BS offense Mario was running anyway. It's boring. 
like it's Oregon football has become kind of dull in a lot of ways. And before it was fast and exciting and innovative and, and a lot of that's gone. Chip would bring that back. But anyway, oh, cool. he would. we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Do you watch a lot of UCLA games lately? What about them? You find that offense entertaining? They, they led the league. They led the league in scoring. It's, it was more entertaining than Oregon's. I think he worked. They led the league in scoring, but is it because they were playing the up tempo stuff they were doing fifteen years ago? They weren't playing up playing up tempo. I'm saying were they were they doing the same thing that I'm not saying they were playing as fast. Did they wind the clock back to what they were doing here? Not not completely. And and I don't know if if that's going to be his philosophy moving forward, or if it was a quarterback limitation. You've got to have the QB that can handle it. Because the whole thing is getting in different formations and different plays really fast. If you don't have a quarterback to handle that, you, you got you got to back it up a little bit. At Oregon, yeah. he had a couple guys who could do that. But anyway, Bottom it's more exciting. It was I, more exciting. It was more exciting than what Arroyo and Morehead were putting out there. Although Mario was interfering with Morehead a lot, we all know that. Anyway, we'll see what happens, man. It doesn't really matter. Um, when uh, <laughs> when when the uh, <clears throat> If it goes the historical route, and again, Aaron will be at the airport with a bottle of wine, no. uh, ready to welcome everybody back uh, because uh, nostalgia reigns supreme. No, uh, so no, that's, no. Uh, this isn't just that's about nostalgia. That's that's this uh, isn't the again, it's, nostalgia. it's terrific. Hey, ah, it's stop. um, your flavor to of each the month, man. Your um, flavor of the month. Your flavor. I, I, I'm not flavor of the month. I happen to believe um, that there is a correlation um, in in college football in the last uh, 10, 15 years uh, that there's a pretty strong correlation uh, with uh, with premier talent and winning. Of, of, I don't disagree with that at all. I, and, seven years uh, ago, hold on a second, hold on, hold on a second, hold on a second. Let's just listen. We agree 100%. As a matter of fact, part of the reason why I predicted the fall of the Oregon program was because they weren't cr- recruiting well enough. And so the 2013 and 2014 classes were in the 20s. And when they signing day 2014, I wrote a column at NBC and I went on our talking duck show and I was like, this is inexcusable. The program is going to fall off because you have to start acquiring more talent because the impacts of the blur offense are going to change. I got hammered for that mere thought. How dare you? We win with two and three star recruits. We're amazing. It's the system. It's the system. You would not believe the stuff people were saying to me. And what happened? They fell off a freaking cliff, just as I said it would. So you and I are lockstep 100% in agreement on that. I also wrote an article where I looked back, and I can't remember the stat off the top of my head, but it was like every every team that had won the national championship for like, I think I wrote this in 2014 or 15. It was like from the previous 10 years or whatever, had at least one recruiting class in the top five and had multiple mm-hmm. in the top 10 within mm-hmm. four years leading up to winning. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'm mm-hmm. 100% with you on that. What I'm saying is, I believe, because when Chip was here, they did have a top 10, and they did have a couple right by it, that if he brings, and, and they do have different facilities now than they did when he was here, that he if he puts the staff together, they will recruit right around the same area, and that he's a better coach than Mario. So we agree 100% on the talent acquisition, absolutely. One thing that gets glossed over in everybody who with nostalgia. <laughs> this isn't nostalgia, dude. Also, I'm a, I'm a guy. Here's one more thing. One, I'm a guy I, who kept preaching that Chip was overrated, and I got one, hammered for that. One so thing I'm, that gets glossed go over. Go ahead. How did how did it end? 
Had it in for Chip? Mm-hmm. He went to the NFL. Not the only thing? Oh, the, uh, no, uh, no, I'm totally with you on this too. The a violation. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Oh, absolutely. And that, and that's part of the reason and why. And Willie Lyles and. Yeah. And no, and that's part of the reason why mm. when, uh, when people would blame Helfrich for everything that went wrong, I'd bring, I'd be like, no, if you trace your recruiting classes back, Chip Kelly had his fingers on those recruiting classes I was talking about were deficient and those guys were dealing with negative recruiting because of that hanging over their head. And Chip created that. So I'm totally with you on that in terms of being a negative for him. Apparently, the powers that be don't care about that. That's why they tried to get him back in 16. And that's why, allegedly, they're trying to get him back now. Right? So we agree on... Like, I think we agree on everything other than whether or not Chip would be successful. Because like, you have no idea. My, 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 my view and vision of this stuff with him... Overrated, right place, right time. Good coach. He was not the reason, the sole reason why they rattled off what they did. A lot of that was circumstantial, blah, 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 blah. Definitely not infallible. Um, but still a easily to me, a viable candidate who would have success at Oregon. Go ahead. Yeah, and I, I don't begin to question the achievements of Chip Kelly or Justin Wilcox to their credit is whether we're talking about as coordinators, as head coaches um, and, and the context and the resources available and the recruiting footprint or the recruiting restrictions or all sorts of things. Bottom line. Uh, I think if you're trying to sustain what is presently here, that it requires. And if you're trying to be, are you trying to be a national brand who recruits nationally and competes for national championships? Listen, are you Chip, trying to do that? Yes, but Chip was Chip. Well, then expanded. you the first person to expand the blue, the footprint was Chip. He went mm-hmm. to Texas and got yes, Darren he Thomas. I, he went and got Lake Seats Trump. Okay. So he was the first one, person to start that expansion. He got mm-hmm. DeAnthony Thomas from LA, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So Chip was the one who really, well, it wasn't all Chip. It was the entire staff. Actually, Bilotti really started pushing it first and Chip continued it with that staff. So Mario didn't invent that. Mario took it to, and Tiger took it to a different, I know it's the same. They took it to a different level. But what I'm saying is, Again, I, 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 it's like, I don't disagree with you. I just think we, we come to a different wall where I think Chip could do enough in that area to, to win just as many games as some other guy you're going to bring in who might recruit a little tiny bit better, but not, might not be as good of a coach. We can go round for round in circles. <laughs> Bottom line. Uh, again, Aaron will be there. Um, bright eyed, bushy tail, right next to the <laughs> duck. Dun, 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 dun. He'll be there next to the duck with the, with again, with a bottle of vino. No, no. And, no, no. uh, it'll be ready to go. Uh, but, uh. <laughs> How we'll, long is this going to take, man? How long is this search going to take, you think? I think everybody respects that there is a, um, urgency to the process when early signing day is in eight days. Right. I think so. So you that, think before, before then they'll have someone? I'm not going to begin to predict because I don't, you know, crazy things happen. You can pursue people, things happen, things fall through. This one doesn't accept. Then you're going on somebody else. I mean, it, but they hope I to. I think listen. everybody understands and appreciates and respects that there is a need and a relatively speaking, a need mm. to get the right candidate, the right fit, the right winning, proven, successful candidate. As fast as possible. And that's not just being general. I'm, I'm, I, I think there is a very much a real urgency, um, which also makes trying to 
procure information that is from reliable and proven sources in any way attached to that process that much more difficult because they are spending morning, noon, and night involved and don't have time for you. (laughs) So this may be a pretty silent process because the people who are most dialed in and involved are dialed in and involved. This is not, oh, they laid off Clay Helton in week two and let's just, you know, dilly-dally for the next 10, 12 weeks. And even then, SC didn't get a lot out of there um, until, you know, the final minutes. This is this is something that's probably going to happen quite quickly. Uh, and there's a search firm in terms of the back end of things and those things. So, again, I'm not going to begin to predict. I, I'm just saying, yes, I think everybody understands and uh, appreciates that there's an early signing period that's part of this. And you're trying to provide clarity for the players who are here now and for the players who are, you know, prospective players of the future uh, as fast as humanly possible while also, yeah, you know, getting, you know, if, if, it's, if it's just about getting somebody who to do it as fast as possible, well, then go find somebody who's not making a buck and, and pay him a bunch of money and say it's done. And that's yeah. not the point. You're trying to make a long-term, great hire, sustain, etc. cetera. Uh, and You're trying to make a long-term three-year hire. I'm trying to make a long-term great hire. I'm smiling. I don't but. think I don't think these <laughs> I, I, I I'm I, I think with the changing playoff situation that that could change um that's long term looks is, like. Is that gonna happen for sure? Twelve teams next year, you think? It, no, that, no, no, no. It's not it's not happening in, in the twenty twenty two or twenty twenty three. Those seasons are off the table. It's gonna be down the line. They've been off the table. It's either the question is twenty four, twenty five, or is it gonna start in twenty six? That's the only conversation. Twenty two and twenty three are off the table. That they're it's impossible. That's not happening. Um it's just a matter of the twenty four and twenty five, twenty six. But bottom line, that's down the road. But I think that that changes. I think that dynamic changes about how we define success in college football. But bottom gotcha. line, and coaching sustainability, and the other part is, should Oregon eventually win a national championship for the first time, then all of a sudden it's no longer the, hey, it's a place you can build up, it's a place you can you know begin to get closer and closer and closer on the cusp of, but it just hasn't gotten over the mountaintop yet. But if you actually get there, then I don't think you have people who are going like, well, I got to go somewhere else to try and do it, or I got to go home to do it, or I got to you know go to a bigger brand who's going to offer more money to do it. I, I think that once you actually get there, you know, you think someone stays? It, it happens, um, but you have to prove they're, it. They're not getting there anytime soon. So, so now you're down. Oh boy, he's giving up. He's giving up. He's totally giving up. Now, giving now, Aaron, Aaron went from last week on the podcast. He was ready to count the third conference championship and declare champions, and the, they were going to beat Utah. Second. And now, now they're they the playoffs, not even going to win. They weren't going to. They weren't going to make the playoffs. We're talking about winning the national title, right? But I'm saying you were, you were convinced that they were going to completely flip the script and beat Utah a week ago. Now you don't even think they're going to be a worthwhile well, team James, with you, you 68 thought, players who are sophomores. You thought they were going to lose to Oregon State, and then you thought they were going to beat Utah. So, you know, no, things no, no, go back no, and forth, no, right? In, in, in the regular season, I thought they were going to beat Utah the first time. I thought they were going to lose to Oregon State. I thought they were going to lose to Utah the second time. This, and you're right. That's what I said. You, you, you said they were going to lose to Oregon State. And you because, said they were going to. Oregon State gave up on their identity. I didn't. I didn't I make know, that but call. My, my, okay, <laughs> was, you were saying I I changed from one thing to another. I'm pointing out you changed from one thing to another too. My point is, is that no, there's no. This is not a national championship roster. It's not even remotely close. It's not. It, no. 
First, okay. let, 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 listen, listen. Okay. I've I've said four times I, the Ducks again, won the national you're, championship you're game. Four times, folks. Four times I've said the Ducks will go to the national championship game. They went twice. They go when I say they can go. Eight okay. times I've said they're not going and they didn't go. Yeah. So when I say the Ducks can go, they can go. I'm only being partially arrogant with this, but it's mathematically proven out. Okay. What what on this what on this roster makes them national championship? Okay, all right. Just... National championship. What, you think they can win the national title next year? Yeah, no, I'm, you're you're the columnist. I'm not, you know. You can't. You can't I'm, give I'm a just, prediction. I'm just here. I'm just here covering a team, whether they win okay. or they lose. So, so you refuse to give it a prediction. I, I, is that, is that I think I think they're going to open the season in the top fifteen, maybe even the top ten. Um, okay. And I think they've, uh, you know, they, by way of the composition no of the qu- roster, they have, they've no got qu- a, they have no quarterback. None. They don't even have any. They don't have a proven quarterback. Okay. Mm-hmm. You have a five star kid who I, I asked three more people this past weekend since I was calling around about the Mario thing: a player, a coach, and a player's dad of offensive player. Mm-hmm. About Ty Thompson. And all of them said, yeah, not even remotely close. Now, could he be next year? He might be really good next year, but he ain't good enough to take him to the national championship. You lost your best defensive player in Kayvon. Like, it's just not, it's not a national championship roster. They might flirt with the Pac-12 title if, if Ty Thompson's legit or if they get a transfer quarterback, but they're not, they're not contending for a national title. No way in hell. Anyway, that's another story. We can talk about that later. Are we going to touch on the, on the bowl game at all or no? We'll save that for later. They're playing Oklahoma on the 29th in the Alamo Bowl. There we with, go. With two interim coaches. Two, that's going to be fun. True story. That's going to be fun. And Kayvon sopped it out, and uh, Oklahoma's had a bunch of guys transfer. And it's a yeah. mess, huh? We'll find out more later this week by way of there's another kind of media availability thing, I think, on Thursday um, related to the game. Uh, so uh, we may get a little bit more clarity uh, in any term, any number of things related to personnel and other stuff. But um, yeah, so there you have it. Uh, we'll get into that more as the month goes on, I'm sure. Uh, we'll have, again, uh, whoever they end up hiring reaction, I'm sure as well. I'll do a podcast on that uh, when, when Aaron's done celebrating the return, the triumphant <laughs> return of uh, Chip Kelly. Stop. Um, then, uh, you know, when, when he has come off of cloud nine, um, oh, I have and, no emotional uh, investment in this. I don't care if he comes when, back or not. When, I just think uh, he has success. Frankly, I think at this point, not. Chip Chip should be enlisting you as his agent and uh, may actually be offering Aaron a uh, analyst job uh, by the time this is all said and done. Um, but uh, really, uh, we will oh, have uh, in, in seriousness uh, outside of Jess. No, we appreciate everybody listening. We've been another long edition of the podcast here, uh, given the light of all the news and uh, also uh, trying to have a little bit of fun and laughter. Yes, amid what is otherwise... Um, we certainly understand, respect, and appreciate that for fans, this is a little bit of a tumultuous time. So we're trying to provide not just uh, information, but a little bit of entertainment um, to you to where it's not all just pure seriousness and lockstep because, you know, hey, sports fun. are fun. Sports are fun. It's supposed um, to be, right? And remember that right? sports are supposed to be fun. So, yes, yeah. I realize and respect and appreciate that people are very dedicated and passionate. But also um, that, you know, you need you need to be able to laugh a little bit along the course of the day as well. So. With that, we'll wrap up this edition of the Ducks Confidential Podcast. If you don't already subscribe, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Give us a five-star like, review, whatever the terminology and vernacular today is, so that way more people can find it and listen, et cetera, et cetera. And we will join you again once I'm sure a hire is made and when we can get more into the Alamo Bowl and what will be one of the truly more memorable, I'm sure, uh, bowl games. Uh, just- <laughs> 
Mm. Uh, we'll get into that quite a bit, I'm sure, in the future as well. But for Aaron Fentress, I'm James Crepe. We will see you again soon uh, for another edition of the Ducks Confidential Podcast. Thanks as always. Thanks.